Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 124 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 30th, 2010. And if you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet USC radio show talking about the Trojan football team. We have a good show for you this week on the podcast. A lot of the members of the uscfootball.com staff will be talking to them about these NCAA sanctions and some of the reports we've been putting up on uscfootball.com, breaking a lot of news there. We also have Coach Harvey Hyde. In the first segment, we're going to answer a bunch of your questions about the team, scholarships, all that kind of stuff. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And as promised, we have Coach Harvey Hyde coming up first, all the way from Catalina Island. Coach, how are you doing, sir? Buddy, I'll tell you what. I am doing absolutely fabulous. Before we get started, I want to wish everybody a very happy July 4th weekend. Please be careful no matter what you're going to do out there. Have a safe weekend. Enjoy your family and friends. And uh, and I'm ready to go, buddy. we got a lot to talk about, and I'm excited about uh, the football season. It's not that far away. It is not that far away. We could talk about football instead of sanctions for once, but we still got some more to get to <laughs> with that. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the URL, or you can give them a call, one 800 888-7287, any kind of tickets you need. The Lakers are obviously over, but if you need tickets for any kind of concerts, sporting events, I got to see uh, Dodgers and Yankees at the uh, Ravine. That was pretty cool over the weekend. If you're going to go to the theater, go to sctickets.com, and they will hook you up. And uh, Coach, what are you doing over there on Catalina right now? Well, I'm doing a lot of surfing because the waves are real big over here. If you've ever been over here, the waves are about one foot maybe. So I'm not afraid to go in the ocean. So nice. i got a great big board. And uh, I ride them in, uh, you know, from about three feet out. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I just like to come over here and enjoy myself. It's one place that I can feel relaxed at. It's one place that I feel like I'm a long ways away. But if I need to get back to uh, America, that uh, I can in a hurry or fly somewhere. And, you know, it's just a wonderful place to relax. And the FC band, I don't know if you know this or not, but the FC band every year, uh, leads off the 4th of July parade here on the island of Catalina oh, in, the, uh, in nice. Avalon. So it, it's a really a, a Trojan day here, and people have a lot of fun. And then they have a Trojan concert at the casino that night and before the fireworks. So it's it's just a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun over here. I'm going to have to go over there with, on the Express with you one of these times. I don't, I don't get an invite, Coach, so I'm not sure what's up with that. No, I want you to come. I really do. I'd love to have you come here and see. I know you live in Manhattan Beach, I tell you, but Manhattan Beach is nice, too. But here, it's called paradise, paradise. okay? All right. It, it is. In fact, if I, I made a slogan for Catalina, you know? It's something you need to do. How about that? Catalina, it's something you need to do. I like it. That is something we need to do. All right, well, let's get – we got a lot of questions, Coach. A couple, actually, from last week since we didn't have you on last week, but we'll, we'll get to all those. Uh, Richard – from Livermore, California. It's about Pac-10 expansion. He, a couple points he wanted to bring up. Could the Pac-10 remove a team like Washington State and maybe adding teams like San Diego State and Fresno State uh, could join the Pac-10 and Washington State could maybe join the Mountain West for some uh, better geographical rivalry with some of those Mountain West teams. Um, why do you think the Pac-10 is shying away from BYU? Uh, so just kind of the thoughts there on expansion. Obviously, the Pac-10 is now 12. Uh, you know, adding Colorado and Utah, but kind of get your thoughts on that whole situation, Coach. Well, my, my feeling is this. First of all, when you're an established member of a conference for so, so many years in the record books and everything and so on, they just don't let teams leave. They don't kick teams out. Let me tell you, the college presidents are colleagues and so on, and, uh, and there's a rivalry there between Washington and Washington State and so on. So they're not going to get rid of Washington State as part of the Pac-10 and they're there and so on. They don't have the resources that a lot of the other universities have, but they've been very competitive. I'm telling you, they aren't right now, but there were years with Ryan Leaf and 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 uh, throwing Samoan and all of those those players that have been there. Great quarterback, uh, 
Stepso, I think, went there. Bledsoe, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and these, they, they've really been a competitive football team. When Sweeney was there and Jim Walden and all of these other coaches. So they can compete. And today with parity now, uh, with the right situation, I, was, I saw the other day that they're now starting to recruit to Florida heavily. So uh, they need more team speed and so on. So, uh, you know, they're not going to get rid of uh, Washington State. They're, and uh, so Washington State is part of now the Pac-10 and will be. As far as the two teams that they've invited to the Pac-10, of course, they brought in Utah. And I really believe this. I think Utah is the only winner in that situation. I believe the Mountain West Conference lost someone that really helped bring them a lot of credibility because they have a well-rounded athletic program there. They're good in basketball. They're good in just about everything there. And with Boise State coming into the Mountain West Conference, that would have made them almost an automatic BCS bid. But uh, Utah is the team to win. I don't know how much that helped the Pac-10, but the Pac-10 went out on the limb, went out and got Colorado instead of going out and getting Tech Texas first, brought in a team, uh, nothing against Colorado and all the people, but they don't bring any real competitiveness right now. And they're not a team that's been winning, and uh, I think that's going to take some time to, de- to develop rivalries and so on. I don't, I don't see where they're going to fit right now, Okay. Now, as far as Fresno State, the Fresno State is not, they're not going to bring Fresno State into the, the Pac-10, I don't think, or consider bringing them into the Pac-10. Uh, I just think that they've got their, their teams in the north and the south, and Fresno State's sort of in the middle between Cal and Stanford and SC and UCLA and so on. And I don't think they bring, they have great teams, don't, don't get me wrong, in, in football and track and field and softball and all these other sports, but I just don't think they bring what, the Pac-10 is looking for. That's areas where they can bring in a lot of people, a lot of viewers, a lot of people that bring in additional revenues, and they're not real willing right now to share revenues in their contracts with television and the Rose Bowl with another member unless that member can bring something to the Pac-10. As far as the question regarding BYU and, and, and uh, rather than Utah, BYU is an outstanding program, but BYU doesn't play any athletic events on Sunday. If you know that, they don't play any athletic events on Sunday and so on. And in the scheduling that's going on and a lot of things that's happening, uh, they just don't feel, I don't think the Pac-10 administrators, that they want to make those type of adjustments. So BYU has a great name nationally, and they play great team athletics. But I don't think they really... Uh, wanted to go in that direction. Utah has been just as successful as far as in BCS bowl games and recently in football as far as playing against Pac-10 teams. So they went with the Utah University thing. So I think BYU is a great program, but I think they decided to go with Utah because of that. All right. Thanks, Coach, for that answer. Uh, We always like talking about expansion. It's kind of slowed down, obviously, but some fun stuff there. Uh, Next question. It's kind of on uh, scholarships. There's two different questions. Steve from Chicago and Matt. Uh, Steve says he loves the podcast. He had a question about players giving up their scholarships, but aren't there? We had a question last week on the podcast coach about players giving up their scholarships, um, but aren't there better loopholes? I mean, drawing additional air from the NCAA, couldn't USC basketball and football teams work it out. So a guy like Eric Armstead came under a basketball scholarship. Along the lines that you could get like DeAnthony Thomas or George Atkinson's to do track and field scholarships. So they would be on scholarships on other teams instead of on football. That would help out with the football numbers. And Matt wanted to know, guys like Woods and Farmer, could they switch over and take track scholarships? Maybe <laughs> He suggested maybe giving a guy like Henderson a flute or a band scholarship. So, Coach, <laughs> kind, of, kind of get your thoughts on... There, there's some real strict. There's some strict <laughs> rules in the NCAA. <laughs> yeah, there's some strict he, rules he regarding the tuba. This. Yeah, but talk about the rules for the NCAA about playing football on other scholarships. Well, I tell you, uh, there you can participate in football and run track. There's no question about that. And a lot of the universities, especially in the Southeastern Conference, their track programs are so good down there, especially in the relays and sprints and so on, because of their athletes that are on football scholarship run track and field down there. So, yeah, you can participate in football and then run in track and field. But to get a, a band scholarship or get a baseball scholarship or get a basketball scholarship and then play football, the NCAA, 
uh, does not allow that. It would count against the numbers of football. Like, for example, I'm sure the NCAA, if that was a start to happen at USC in any way, that would really anger them, and they'd come back in and, and hammer them pretty hard, because that would be one way of making up the loss of scholarships if they just put in a philosophy that each uh, sport was going to give up one scholarship to football. Uh, if you're a baseball coach, you're going to have a baseball player that plays football. If you're a track and field coach, you're going to have a, a guy that runs track like Woods or Farmer, like you said, or others that are going to play football. And in a hurry, you could make up those scholarships that you lost. So you can't do that in a sport of football. You can't use other sports to to play the game of football without accounting against you. It sounds like you should be able to, but it's done because of that reason. Because people could go from an 85 limit up to 105 limit uh, because there are so many great athletes that can do both. Now, don't ask me exactly why. I don't know. There are some sports you can do both in, uh, and I'm not sure. I think one is cross-country and track and field. You can do them, do in both, and it doesn't count against the other one. But uh, uh, no, I don't think they'll be able to do that. Would the NCAA uh, be happy about that? No, they wouldn't, and uh, I don't think that that's going to come about. I think right now, though, I do say this, though. I really feel, and I talked with you about this before we got on the show, is I really feel that USC has a legitimate argument as far as in the appeal process to the NCAA. And I want to just throw this in. I have, I talked to a lot of people around the, the world of sports, coaches, athletic directors, and so on. And I have not spoken to one. I want to identify who I spoke with. But I have not spoken with one that has not felt that the penalty against USC was too harsh what the circumstances were. So I think they have a chance. I really do think they have a chance, but in the appeal process, it's a difficult thing. There hasn't been many appeal changes ever because the colleagues that work together do not want to overrule their other colleagues uh, and make them look bad, let's just say. If they do appeal it and they do say they do go to five scholarships or whatever, where those other people that sit on the uh, committee that – sanctioned USC. They, they look at them and say, thanks for your support. So uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but they certainly do have a case. Now, from the people you talk to, Coach, you mentioned the appeal, and they say people feel it's harsh. Is there is there any, I mean, are people worried? You know, if you talk to an administrator from a different school saying, wow, that, it didn't really look like there was much going on here. And we've had a lot of different stories talking about that up on uscfootball.com, the links between McNair and Bush and Lake and what they all knew and the, the, the evidence being really weak between, you know, it sounded like it was a kind of open and shut case and there was a smoking gun. But when you look at the evidence pretty hard, we've reported this a lot on uscfootball.com. There wasn't a lot of evidence there uh, linking the two, but, you know, making those links between McNair knowing what was going on, not, you know, not saying that Bush didn't do anything wrong, but saying that it didn't seem like from the evidence presented that USC really knew what was going on, but the NCAA Committee on Infractions kind of took a different route. But what I'm saying, Coach, it, it looks like, I mean, because it took so long, are other schools that you've talked to, they seem to be worried that, wow, there really wasn't a whole lot there, and USC's getting hammered. I mean, are they worried something like that could happen to their programs as well? Well, you know, everybody lives in glass houses, okay? Everybody, you don't throw rocks when you live in glass houses, and... uh you got to be very careful about what you say and do. But, but let, me, let, let, let me just justify this by saying, first of all, they don't have to believe you. It's a private organization, and the way the NCAA is set up, and I think I mentioned this before in the segment, and if I did, I apologize for repeating myself, but it happened in the Tarkinian case. He took it all the way to Supreme Court as far as uh, his harsh punishments that he got at, at UNLV and so on. And he lost 5-4. Tark says, I lost 5-4 in overtime. He says, the NCAs came back, or the uh, Supreme Court came back and said, hey, that's right. You, don't, you maybe were treated harshly. And maybe they didn't have any facts. But they don't have to. Because you have decided as a university to join this organization. It's a private organization. You don't have to belong. If you don't want to belong and you don't like what the way they're administrating it, just quit. And don't be a part of the NCAA. So that's the way the ruling is. So it, they don't have to justify it. They just say, this is what we think and this is what we have. And 
I know you have this material, we have this material, but we don't just believe uh, your facts. Or we don't believe Todd McNair. We don't believe it, and that's the way it is. You don't have any repercussion to it or anything, but you are a member of an organization that you have selected to be a part of. So, the, you know, the, all that legal part and all of that doesn't make any difference because you have chosen to be a part of the NCAA. So that's, what, that's the way that works. No, that's a good point, Coach. And there's a lot of talk about people thinking that the NCAA might go away eventually and that the super conferences that we were talking about a few weeks ago that could have that could have potentially happened and still could potentially happen. You get something like that. We have four huge conferences. People have talked about, well, will there even be a need for the NCAA if something like that happens? Well, you know, there's going to be a time when the big schools aren't going to want to uh, share all the revenue, okay? That's why they're going to their... Uh, own television affiliates uh, and, and performing their own channels and so on. There's going to be a time where they're going to say, you know, we don't want to support all the, all the other universities. And they're going to form what they call the super conference. And they're not even going to uh, association, the super association, whatever. And there'll be 30 schools that'll want to play in this or 40 schools, whatever you want to say, your top schools that have the large stadiums and want to make the large revenues, and they're going to separate themselves. And uh, what they're going to do then is uh, increase the scholarship limitations. They're going to put in what they think is right or wrong. They might even vote in uh, some type of uh, revenue to the athletes as far as uh, for, uh, you know, outside expenses, $100 a month uh, for fees uh, and so on and, and do things that smaller schools can't do and you know with the voting power though of a hundred and whatever number of people most of these things when they come up get voted down but there's more smaller schools and there are large schools so they can't subsidize players and so on and, and, and when some of the large schools might want to do that I'm not saying they do want to do that but in the future they might want to do that because uh, there's millions of dollars being generated, and uh, very little money goes to uh, the financial support of athletes. They do, as far as in the means of tuition and so on, and books and so on. But when that scholarship format was put together, the money situation in college athletics was a lot different. It was called really amateur athletics, okay? Uh, books and tuition and so on, you were grateful to get that. Coaches were making $100,000 a year, and they were grateful to get that. Today, it's a whole different picture. It's a whole different picture, and kids out there see how much money is being generated. And the agents are out there you know, trying to find out who these kids are. They're going to be great players in the ninth grade. So you know, you're really kidding yourself. If you think that agents and these guys out there aren't contacting and talking to these kids, when they're young kids and they're in camps and so on, it's terrible, but it's happening. So it's a very tough thing for a university to be responsible for. How can you be responsible when you don't even know if this kid's coming to your school or who this kid has met or what their parents have done or what their parents have told someone and so on? So it's getting to be a very not amateur feeling or amateur organization. It's getting to be semi-pro or close to pro when you pay coaches three, four, five million dollars a year, and you get huge revenue guarantees for playing certain places in the bowl games. The BCS bowl games keep going up, higher and higher and higher. And I've always said, you know, the NCAA does not want to hear, does not want to hear kids talking about we need subsidies or people talking about the kids need two hundred dollars a month so they don't have to have agents or they don't need to do certain things that some kids do because they have no money and we we know what those things are so you know i i someday and i'm not saying it's going to happen and i hate to even bring this idea up but someday someone's going to organize where on new year's day or national championship day just before the game starts both teams are going to be organized, and they're going to say, we're not coming out to play this game. The stadium is going to have 100,000 people in it. National TV is going to be out there. They probably sold it on some bowl package by then. Unless something is done to help subsidize us players, you have jerseys all over the country that the universities sell, and the kids never get one penny for a Bush shoes jersey or whatever it is. They make millions of dollars off these kids' names, but nothing can be given to them. 
So that might happen where the teams say, we're not coming out, and all of a sudden it's going to be a lot of scurrying around. They're going to have an affidavit ready, and some attorney's going to be representing them or a law, big law firm, and they're going to say, sign this affidavit or sign this statement that you are going to address these issues where, or we're not playing this game. Now, I, want to, uh, I don't want to suggest these things are going to happen, but I'm going to say it's going to take something like that to get everybody's ear. It really is. And uh, uh, I don't want to see it, uh, but uh, it could happen. And, and it just takes the right group of people. And there's been people trying to put these things together. You know that, too, that uh, the kids deserve more than what they're getting. Now, will they ever get it? I don't know. But it seems a lot of ways it's not really fair. I agree with you 100%, Coach. All right. Well, let's. Uh, one last thing I wanted to get to. We have a question from JC on uh, Josh Shirley, who you know a lot of people thought would end up signing with USC, but he signed with UCLA across town, uh, was recently involved in a uh, robbery, and was released from the UCLA football team. Uh, JC wants to know, do you think USC would try to pick up a Josh Shirley after UCLA got rid of him for stealing the purse? I didn't see anything about USC going after a DeMar Dorsey when he had troubles getting into Michigan. Or do you think USC would hold off on going after more controversial players because the NCAA sanctions and potential bad press? I, I agree with that last statement, Coach, but what do you think? No, I agree with you 100%. I, I know Shirley. He's a great kid, but he had bad judgment, okay? And, uh, you know, sometimes, I hate to say this, kids have got to pay a price for for things they're not supposed to do. And they can't be protected for all of it and so on. And uh, he did a terrible thing, but that doesn't mean that he will not get another chance. He's going to have to sit out a year or go to a community college and play it for two years. And I'm a big guy for giving people a second chance, okay? I'm a big guy, a guy on this. And he's got to eat his pride. He's got to go perform. He's got to get his grades. He's got to make himself a, a better citizen. And he, shall, he, will, he will overcome this. He can overcome this. A lot of players have done it in the past, and he's no different than a lot of other players out there. He's got to do it. He did a stupid thing. He's got to get that. Um, he should be looking for a place right now to go and play and uh, make his academics something. You know, he's a qualifier, so that means that he doesn't have to graduate from a community college. He could go a year and still transfer with the right amount of units or two years and still transfer to a, a university. But I got a feeling it'll be a university out of the Pac-10. I don't think he'll stay in the Pac-10. I think he'll leave the area and go somewhere in the Midwest or somewhere else where he can get more of a clean slate and a lot of the people, it won't be as publicized as much as it would be in California. All right, Coach, well, we had a lot of questions to get to. I'm, thank you for uh, getting to them all. I know we didn't get to have you on last week, and now you're out gallivanting around the island of Catalina, but hopefully we got some more, well, maybe some more pleasant things to talk about next week. That'd be a good thing. I hope we do, and I hope you were able to hear Cece in the background. <laughs> I don't know. Could you hear Cece? I could, yes. Right at the end, yeah, she you came could. on. She is really upset because she's downstairs, <laughs> and she wanted to be upstairs during this broadcast. Now, She's going to have to pull it up and listen to it. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Just she could Go to peristylepodcast.com. She can get it. Every show. we do all, all our shows are on there. All the archive shows, Coach. You can hear us talking about all kinds of different things over the past couple of years. Well, buddy, uh, happy 4th of July to you and your family and all of our listeners out there. And uh, I look forward to uh, being with you next week. Thanks a lot, Coach. Appreciate it. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk with Brian Fisher more about the, the NCAA sanctions and that photo of McNair, what's going on with that. So stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. 
Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. We are joined by USCFootball.com's Brian Fisher, who's been all over this story with the NCAA sanctions, the stories we've been posting lately about the missteps on McNair and the uh, McNair response to the NCAA. And today, the uh, photo in question from the NCAA. Brian, what's going on? Thanks for joining us. Doing good. Glad to get the story up. Yeah, finally did. We got the uh, story up today. There's more to come still, but uh, on the photo specifically, when we first broke that story with the missteps on McNair, there was you know some different troubling pieces of evidence, I guess, out there. One of them, and we wanted to go into more detail, was this photo uh, of McNair uh, and Lloyd Lake and Michael Michaels all in the same photo. Maybe kind of give people a little background on what this photo is. Well, this is the photo that uh, the NCAA used as kind of one of its three main pieces of evidence saying that, uh, you know, Todd McNair knew Lloyd Lake and knew that Reggie was receiving benefits. And uh, this was taken on October, you know, in October after the uh, Washington State game. And it was the same night that uh, that's, uh, October calls were made. 2005, right? 2005, that's correct, okay. yes. And, um, you know, this is taken with, with, uh, you know Todd McNair, uh, Lloyd Lake, and as you mentioned, Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Lake, Faison Love, and uh, Michael Michaels. And uh, this was at a Hollywood club late at night. And uh, it's just uh, you know just a photo of you know a couple guys taking a picture. You know it's something that's you would see maybe in other photos or other you know you could see the same thing at practice. It's uh, you know it's just a photo of some guys and. Um, in that, there are questions even about the photo as far as being cropped or Photoshop and whatnot, which we go into in the story. And, uh, you know, there are questions about what people are wearing. There are questions about, you know, you know, there's just a lot of questions about these photos, which we obviously go into detail in the story. And it's hard to believe that having all this stuff, the NCAA used this as one of its three main pieces of evidence against Todd McNair and, you know, eventually by extension, USC. Yeah, so if you go to uscfootball.com, you can see the story. You can see the photo up there. Essentially, it's a photo that has McNair and Faison Love, his, his friend who's an actor, who poses for photos fairly often with different people um, posing. They're kind of in the foreground on the left side of the photo. And then, you know, a section behind them, you see Michael Michaels next to Lloyd Lake. And it, it's not like the four of them have their arms around each other or anything like that. They're, they're all in the same photo, those guys appear to be off a little bit more in the background. And, and that's I mean, essentially what you see in the photo. But this was something that the NCAA used, not their only piece of evidence, but it's one of the things they used to say that Todd McNair for certain knew Lloyd Lake. And, and that's kind of what it's from what, what I've read, Brian, and maybe you can agree or disagree. That's kind of what they concluded from seeing this photo. Yeah, and you know, uh, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, I don't want to discount the presence of, you know, there's a famous actor in the middle of the photo. You know, Todd McNair is kind of off to the side; he's kind of just in the photo, and uh, you know, don't lose sight of that fact either. And you know, there's just it's just interesting looking at the photo and and seeing, you know, how it's just it's just a photo. You know, it's not saying that they had any conversation at all. And that's what, you know, we go into detail from what we saw in the case summary is that, you know, Lloyd Lake's girlfriend said, he, you know, never heard that they had a conversation. Todd McNair said that they never had a conversation. You know, if you go through in detail, Lloyd Lake never was never asked about the photo or any details about the photo or or the, you know, night in question as far as what he, what did he talk to about Todd McNair. He was never asked about how he got the the how he even obtained the photograph because as the committee reports, it was in, uh, you know, it was from Michael's cell phone uh, that they, that the photograph came from. And yet Lloyd Lake was the one providing the the photo. And uh, there was no mention anywhere in the case summary that it came from, from Michael's cell phone. There's just all these questions about it. And, and again, you know, it is just a, a photo. Certainly. And so there's questions about the photo. I mean, but just looking at it, say the photo is completely legitimate. It was taken the night that everyone said. Um, I mean, there, it's, there's obviously not it's not a smoking gun. There's not evidence that from you can see in that photo that that McNair talked to Lloyd Lake and knew exactly what was going on with their business arrangement with uh, the Griffin family or Reggie Bush. I mean, that's but, you know, even saying that, obviously, there's still questions with the photos. But 
It, I mean, what did you see from the, you know, from this photo that as far as, was there something that was tying that? I mean, what, what could you tell from, from looking at this? I mean, just looking at the photo, it's just, you know, like I said, it's just a photo of some guys at a club, you know, you, you, you have plenty of those. If you, if you go out, if you're anyone moderately famous, I'm sure you could ask to take, you know, 50 different photographs at any time, you know, during a night. And it's just like, Hey, can you take a photo with us? Sure. You know, and then the photos gets taken, you know, there's no, nothing into that. There's no evidence saying that, you know, Oh, we, we had a conversation and I vetted these guys before I took this photo. No, there's, there's none of that. And, you know, with cell phone cameras and whatnot, it's, it's kind of difficult to police that. And, and, you know, uh, if you go on a site like Deadspin, you'll see a photo like this all the time of just some some athlete taking a, a you know photograph with maybe a, a woman and people inferring things, and, and that's why you're seeing people not take photographs anymore, and it's because of that reason. And it, it's just you you it's just one other thing to keep in mind, I guess, is also that this is one of you know three kind of main pieces that the NCAA used to connect with Todd McNair. And that he knew Lloyd Lake, and it, you know, one of three. So even then, it's it's a big part of the one of the three. All right. Well, that, and uh, so we're talking about the photograph, you know, of Todd McNair, Faze on Love, Michael Michaels, and Lloyd Lake. USC and their response immediately after the sanctions were made public, announced by the NCAA Committee on Infractions. Uh, USC released their very detailed um, response to the NCAA allegations. And they had some interesting stuff to say about this photograph, and you you went into more detail uh, in your story today. But maybe you can kind of share with the people what USC was saying about this photograph specifically. Well, you know, the the first thing they brought up was uh, actually a photo of uh, the vice president and two people that had crashed a state dinner and took a photograph with them. And they said, well, you know, here's a you know highly publicized example of a photograph where you have some famous people. They're taking a photograph. They look like they all know each other and have having a good time. And yet, you know, the the vice president had no idea who these people were, and they weren't even invited to the party. And you know, they brought that up very quickly in their response and saying, you know, one picture doesn't tell you anything about what happened and what relationships the people in the photograph have. And I th- I think that's an actually a, a pretty valid and good point that you know, hey, the NCAA used this photograph to prove that they had a relationship, and yet. You know what? What does a photograph and people in it actually say? You know, if you go on Facebook, you know, I'm sure you got plenty of photographs with people you don't know, and uh, you know that was the case. And then they also raised a lot of good points about when they were given the photograph, it was in a different format than what you would normally receive a photograph from, you know, from any type of camera or even cell phone camera, which is normally in a a JPEG format, and they received it in a a bitmap format. And they noted that one way to conceal evidence that it was Photoshop or cropped or altered in some way is to save it in a different format. And, you know, in this case, and they also bring to light the fact that they were provided other photographs, which if you read the report, there are reports that uh, there were photographs of Lake, Michaels, and Reggie Bush in the locker room at USC. And all of those photographs were given in JPEG format versus the one photo in question, which we put up is in a bitmap format. So technically there, there are questions about the, for, you know, the format of the photos. And then obviously USC also brought up the fact that, hey, if you're in the, any photograph, it doesn't mean you automatically know the person or automatically had a conversation with them that night. And uh, I think especially on that last point, it's pretty, pretty valid in this case. Certainly. And uh, just, just we'll be clear on the format. So that what we have, the photo that we published today that was previously unpublished, um, was a we scanned a cop that we had a picture copy of the photo and we scanned it and put it on there. So there's nothing digitally that we had that you could analyze that we could tell you what was wrong with the photograph. We basically had a photograph picture that we scanned and so you, everyone could see kind of what you know the parties that were in the photo and what it looked like. Uh, we don't want to let let anyone we want to let everyone know that it wasn't the actual digital photograph that was provided uh, from the NCAA and from what USC was saying. They did receive digital copies of several photographs, but the one in question, like Brian mentioned, was a different format than the other photographs. The other photographs they got were JPEG. This one was in a bitmap format, which is kind of an older, if you're not you know, really familiar with these formats, it's kind of an older format. You can you know, save things to bitmap. Sometimes you'll get them on the web like that. But it's, 
it's not it wouldn't be common for a digital camera especially back in 2005 to take a a bitmap photo um it would usually take a jpeg photo and brian i think you mentioned in the story too that you know typically you, you didn't have like 10 megapixel cameras on your on your um uh, phones back then you know there you know maybe it would have been half a megapixel or a megapixel something like that so it, it did seem odd that the ncaa mentioned that this was taken from michael's cell phone camera but the the format which they had the photo really didn't it didn't jive with that it didn't seem like this was the kind of format that would be taken from a cell phone camera back in 2005 yeah when you kind of going back to your first point is you know usc was the way this kind of works is there's a secure website that the ncaa has and they put all their uh, you know, kind of evidence for the school to view on that website, and they can log in and they can see this. And, and our photo was a scan of the actual case summary that they distributed uh, to the Committee on Infractions and to the school, to Todd McNair, to all the attorneys involved. This is the case summary that we obtained uh, that was kind of gone that they go over with in the Infractions Committee hearing. And um, it's just an unusual uh, looking photograph. Technically, as you mentioned, on top of the format questions raised by USC, and yes, you know, bitmap is an uncompressed format. It's you know, you known for higher file sizes. So the fact that it could come from a cell phone or is highly unlikely. And you know, it's just a an interesting size. And you know, we had a photographic expert take a look at it, and he says, you know, I don't know of he he said, you know, you can read in the story. He says he doesn't know what any camera that would have a, a size. Uh, or would take pictures in the type of uh, pixel size that this photograph, you know, happened. And it's just, uh, it, it kind of lends the theory that USC has that, yeah, it could have been altered or cropped. And um, if you also read Todd McNair's response, uh, which we have on the website, uscfootball.com, uh, he notes that we agree completely with uh, USC in that there are questions about this photograph. Yeah, and, it's, you know, I don't think USC came out and said that, it was altered and there were these, these, you know, persons of interest or whatever were placed in the background, uh, Lloyd Lake and Michael Michaels. But I, I guess they left that possibility open that at the very least it was saved in some other format. So there was, there was an original and somehow it was changed. It could have been changed by being cropped. It could have been changed, you know, um, just, you know, saving it in a different format and nothing else touched. Or there could have been other things done to the photograph. So that's, I mean, that, I think they were just bringing up that question that we didn't get to see what the real photo was. There could be some changes that were made, not insinuating that, that the NCAA or Lake or anybody did that, but leaving open the possibility for the committee to say, hey, look, I mean, something's weird with this photograph. We're not exactly sure what, but it's definitely different than what the original was. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look in the background of the photo, it's just black. You know, there's there's no objects that you can pick out that, oh, hey, yeah, that's definitely at this club or, or hey, yeah, you know, it, that's that's straight up. That's a straight line. Okay, I can kind of base my, you know, where they're standing. Okay, yeah, that looks legitimate. You know, it's it's just the people in the photograph in this in this case. And, you know, yes, USC kind of insinuates that, yeah, maybe Lake and Michaels could have been placed in the photograph, you know, via Photoshop and then saved over, you know, saved in a new format. Uh, you know, that that's certainly a possibility. You know, no one is saying that it, that it's not except for, um, you know, the NCAA, which takes this as, as living proof and that has yet to explain away these inconsistencies on the photograph. And if you, if you look uh, at, the, at the story, we also detail the fact that several witnesses, according to USC in the case summary, said that Lake and Michaels weren't wearing the clothes they're wearing in this photograph on the night it was taken. So there's a, you know, another question on it you know, that, that you can take a look at. Maybe they were they they had another picture of themselves and they were photographed you know photoshopped into it so there's just a it's just a lot of different little things about the photograph and, and it's hard to hard to fathom that the NCAA uses this as one of its main pieces of evidence okay Brian well so there's a lot you know everyone should check out the story obviously on uscfootball.com there's a lot going on with this photograph what do you think it actually means i mean at this point there are inconsistencies there but the NCAA committee on infractions didn't seem to take those into account or didn't seem to mind that that those were there that this was enough evidence that there was a link between Todd McNair and Lloyd Lake they felt that you know there was enough so they could find him um you know he was uh, banned from recruiting for one year 
Um, so that was kind of the, the what was it the show cause that they they found yeah. him guilty of. So he's found yeah, they found him guilty of a. Sh- they well, they did, the penalty was a show cause penalty preventing him from recruiting for a year. Right. So that so it was enough for them. Is something like this? Do you think would be would this all come up during the appeals process? Does USC have a leg to stand on, or Todd McNair have a leg to stand on with this? I think they do, and then, again, this is just my opinion. But you know, I I think they do have it in this case, and again, this is combining it with other pieces of information that they are calling into question. If you look at what USC, when they came out and said they were going to appeal, they, they said they're going to look at the findings of the actual infractions committee report. And one of the findings was using this photograph. So it's definitely could be made, uh, brought up in the appeal. I think it absolutely will be at some point, uh, either in McNair's response or the university's response, I would assume both. Um, but, uh, you know, it just kind of, I think in USC and McNair's responses or appeals, you're going to see, uh, you know, kind of calculated saying this, 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 this was all questionable. How can you come up with these, you know, really long and you know unprecedented penalties? And I think that's kind of going to be the the focus of the appeal. All this evidence is is questionable, and yet you come down, you know, with a sledgehammer against us, and that. That to me, I think it is going to be their their exact appeal because if you look at what and how narrow the appeal process is, it, it's you know it really focuses on um, what uh, the penalties are in terms of precedence and and it, any missteps for the by the committee, and that's what the appeals committee will actually look at. All right, well, Brian, great work. Thanks very much for all uh, sharing all that info, and make sure you check it out on USCFootball.com. We'll, uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again next week. Maybe other, better things. We talked about Car- with Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment. We'd like to talk about better things like actually what's going on in the football field. But until this gets resolved, it's going to be the biggest story out there right now. And you know what? Probably next week, you know, after everyone gets back from uh, you know, the holiday weekend and July 4th, uh, they, we could start seeing some of the freshmen out there in the you know, throwing session. So, yeah, we might have actually – other different news that uh, <laughs> that can lift the spirits of USC fans as well. A little more pleasant, hopefully. Well, thanks again, Brian, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds with more of the Peristyle Podcast. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting in this segment with uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Senior analyst. I'm uh, Now, supposedly I'm on vacation now, right? Because the coaches are on vacation and they right. can't recruit in July, so I can't cover recruiting in July. Isn't that how it works, Ryan? Isn't that how it's supposed to be? You know, we, we don't we make our own hours, but we don't. You know, when there's lots of stuff, <laughs> when stuff's going on, uh, what can we do? We're tr- we're trying to cover it all, all the NCAA stuff, all the recruiting implications, and everyone wants to talk about recruiting and what's going to happen. So we got some recruiting questions today on that. You ready to answer some? Yep, yep. But that's why I'm a senior analyst because I have to I have to go back and forth on these things. You know, I have to be. You know, the guy that's uh, in the shadows, you know, working the investigative thing kind of on the low, and then bam, recruiting. You know, I got, that's a renaissance thing, man. You got to do it all. I, so I got to call you senior analyst? I mean, whatever you want. I mean, you're... Senior analyst. That's okay. actually my title on all my stories, if you've ever read any of my stories that I, go yeah, up on the site every day. Try not to read those, you know. <laughs> senior analyst. All right. Yeah, we, dude, you're the man. I give you whatever title you want. You can be president, <laughs> CFO, I don't know, whatever you need. Um, all right, well, let's get to, we got a question from JC. We answered one of his questions in the last segment. We're actually going to revisit that a little bit. Actually, we we answered it two two, te- two segments ago with Harvey Hyde, but we're going to, he had a really interesting question on Devon Kennard and Vontez Burfecht. So if you don't know, Devon Kennard is the, uh, you know, from Arizona, 
uh, outside linebacker and middle linebacker, former defensive end at USC. Vontez Perfect was the linebacker that USC thought they had locked up, and he ended up, you know, going to Arizona State. He wanted to know, you know, you've seen these guys up close, and you've seen them play. How do you think Kennard compares to Perfect? And uh, he's like a big place on USC's team that broke down last year was linebacker and stopping the run. He felt that USC lost out to Perfect on signing day. Manti Teo picked. Notre Dame over USC at the last minute. And according to Rivals, Perfect was the number one outside linebacker, ninth overall, and Kennard was the number one defensive end, eighth overall. Perfect, 6'2", 244, 4'6", 440. Kennard, 6'3", 257, 4'7", in the 40. Perfect had a hell of a year last year, shutting down opponents. Do you think Kennard can play with the same kind of speed that Perfect did? How does his motor compare? And do you think Kennard is fast enough to be a top linebacker NFL prospect like Malaluga, Matthews, Cushing, or Tupu. So there's a lot in there, but you know, basically want to talk about Kennard versus Perfect and then what you think the prospects are for his future. It's a good question, and it brings up that uh, painful memory for USC fans of losing both Perfect and Manti Teo in the same year. And that was really, we knew how significant it was, you know, that year, you know, during that process and on signing day after Teo ends up uh, committing to Notre Dame. That was definitely a huge deal because SC knew that they needed linebackers that year. And those are two quality guys that are out west that are guys that would be probably starting or at least competing for a starting job at this point uh, for USC this year, um, probably even last year. So, you know, Kennard gets moved because of the lack of depth at linebacker. And the comparisons between the two, there really are not a lot of comparisons. Now, Kennard has slimmed down a little more, so he was back up in that 265 range, you know, by the time he came into USC. And now he's probably closer to that 250, 255 range. Um, so he's slimmed down to try to become a little faster, a little quicker, but really a different type of player uh, in a lot of ways. And speed is probably the main differential between these two players. Perfect is quick. Perfect is 240, probably closer to 250 now. Really cat-like quickness and ability to cover guys, uh, whether he's playing Mike linebacker or outside linebacker. We saw him at the Nike camp in space. Um, playing with no pads on, no contact. And those drills versus the running backs, really it's the advantage of the offense. The running backs can come out and run any kind of route they want. They can run the real route. They can run a cut in, sluggo, whatever they want to do. And in that kind of, you know, that kind of setting, as a linebacker in space, you really don't have a lot going for you. There's no pads. There's nothing really to slow up that, that running back coming out of the backfield. There's no line that you have with, you know, defensive line, offensive line, or these all kinds of obstacles that the running back has to get around to slow him down. He comes right out of the offensive backfield, running straight at the linebacker full speed. So in those drills, Burfick was still – he was incredible. I mean, he was amazing, flipped his hips, quick with his feet, great balance. And this is a guy that really we knew – from a physical standpoint, extremely aggressive, very instinctive, kind of has a nasty streak to him. So he's a guy that, you know, when you get the pads on, he's violent, and you don't have to worry about that. He's going to come, he's going to bring it, he's going to put his head, uh, you know, right in between the, the, the running back shoulder pads, and bam, he's going to kill people. So when you see him in the kind of the opposite light where you're working on his weaknesses and he's that impressive, you know, man, this linebacker is going to be dominant uh, regardless of, of where you're going to put him, whether it be Mike or whether it be outside linebacker. Um, Kennard is learning the position still. But Kennard, even at the defensive end, was never looked at as a real quote-unquote athlete. He's not one of those defensive ends that you come in and, and you maybe guy like uh, you know James Boyd was or um, trying to think of some of these other you know kind of faster, you know, Kevin Green, um, the real athlete-type guys that have the size but are not necessarily the real football players but have all those great, you know, oh, he runs the 4-5 and he's like Everson Griffin. You know, he does all these things athletically, but then you look at football-wise, okay, he's got to become a little better of a football player. Kennard is the opposite of that. I mean, Kennard is the guy that doesn't really have all the athleticism. Isn't guy that's going to blow you away with a 4-5-40, but as a football player, he's got in his bloodlines, he has awareness, uh, watches a lot of film. He's very coachable. So you're really looking at two opposite type of players, regardless of the positions that they're playing. I mean, even Kennard is a defensive end. You're still saying that. So now you back him up and, and off the line and have him playing Mike Linebacker, Still, the comparisons, no, he's not as athletic as Burfecht. Um, can he become as good, as impactful as Burfecht? You know, maybe to some extent. It's really hard because we still kind of have to see 
what he does, especially at Mike linebacker. This is a different position entirely. He was playing Sam, strong side linebacker, over the tight end for, for uh, much of the year when he switched over. Now he's playing in the middle as a Mike. That's a really completely different position for him. So we haven't seen anything outside of spring ball to really get a feel for how dominant he can be. I think the thing going for him, obviously, with his move and the fact that he's even you know, pushing Gallipo at this point for the starting Mike Linebacker job, is that he's coachable and that he understands the defense. And he understands the defense from multiple perspectives. I mean, I think he's a guy you could probably put a strong safety and he's still going to be able to do some amount of damage just because he understands the defense so well. So he's a guy that's cerebral and he understands things. And so that's really going for him. Perfect, much more raw. He's kind of just a loose cannon. He's going to run out there and he's going to kill people. He's a great athlete. He's a great player, but it's always that constant struggle to get him to play within your defense and within your scheme. Um, but, you know, comparing the two at this point, it's tough because Pinard, again, still learning this position. Yeah, he played linebacker last year, but putting him at Mike is completely different than having him play Sam. Um, and you're comparing him to Perfect, who's always played linebacker and always been a dominant linebacker. So, you know, can, can Pinard be as good as Perfect? Um, it's going to take time. I, I, I hesitate and say no. I don't think so, to be perfectly honest. Um, but he can still be very, very good. So, you know, you're talking about a guy that perfect might end up being the best linebacker in his class by the time he comes out. Um, might, because, again, there's going to be issues with him in terms of, uh, in terms of how, you know, where his head's at with things. You know, not just in terms of understanding defenses and understanding coverages and stuff like that, but keeping his head on straight off the field as well because we've already heard kind of some issues that they've had uh, with him and, and trying to corral him a little bit off the field. And, uh, and, and this is only coming into his second year. He had a lot of great problems coming out of high school second year going into your third year, that's when you're going to really start to start to see the real serious classes in college. And we have to see, you know, what, what, if he has any uh, issues with the eligibility and stuff like that. So again, all that kind of stuff is going to, you know, if we're, if we're equating it and we're gauging it by the draft, you know, how good these guys are going to be coming out. Well, that's going to affect perfect. But again, you know, Kennard is, is, kind of trailing him as far as, you know, the, the position and understanding the position uh, from just an experience standpoint. But, you know, it, comes, it starts to even out a little more when you're talking about just the, the, the smarts, the, the understanding of the game itself and the schemes and, and what they're going to do and how coachable they are. All right. Well, JC, thanks for the question. Really interesting, Gerard, to hear what you had to say on that subject because, uh, I mean, you, there's a lot of talk about USC linebackers and going forward with recruiting. You're going to see how these guys do. We'll have to see. How it goes for Kennard the rest of his career at USC where he ends up with the middle linebacker spot, him and Gallipo kind of fighting it out. So that'll be a fun battle to watch this fall. Um, JC had a different question, Gerard, and uh, Coach Harvey Hyde kind of answered it in the first segment about Josh Shirley and USC trying to pick up, you know, pick up Josh Shirley after UCLA, UCLA got rid of him. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, with the, the limited number of scholarships, it's going to be you know, difficult for USC to go after guys that have any kind of, you know, strike against their character or grades or anything. Um, I mean, they really have to, they don't have a lot of room for error. There's not a lot of margin for error when it comes to recruiting. But talking to you off the air about this, I mean, it sounded like that's not a guy that you thought Josh Shirley was. Maybe you get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand from a perception standpoint, or at least from an image standpoint, where USC is right now. And the thought that, oh, you know, this is a program that uh, got put on sanctions because this, that, and the other, and they're going to bring in a guy that has questionable character. Honestly, I know Josh Shirley pretty well um, through the recruiting process. I mean, three, four years of him actually being a high school player, kind of know what his family background is like and the people, you know, that are close to him and what type of kid he was off the field when he was at Kaiser High School. And really the crux of it is that he's a good kid. Uh, I think this is a situation where he got caught up in peer pressure, made a stupid mistake, and but it was really more of a mistake. I don't think this is a pattern of behavior by him. And, you know, UCLA, from what I understand, is kicking out all three of the players that were involved in that, Paul Richardson, Shaquille Richardson, and Josh Shirley. Uh, Josh Shirley, you know, was, was released without bail. Uh, the two other kids uh, were, I think, it, I, I can't remember what it was, $20,000 $20, bail or something like that, um, which kind of 
makes you think that Shirley wasn't necessarily directly involved with things, or they were, you know, he wasn't involved in the situation to the level that the other two were. Uh, but just knowing Josh, you know, I, I just don't think he's that kind of kid, really. Honestly, I kind of can vouch for his character. I think that if USC, and I don't know that USC has any interest in him, or or he has any interest in going to USC now. Um, I think it would be a situation that this has scared him straight. I think he's probably freaked out and can't believe that he's, you know, in this kind of trouble. And I doubt seriously he's ever been in this kind of trouble. Um, and going forward, it's probably going to be a guy that's going to be one of the best, most uh, straight-up citizens um, in any college that he chooses from this point on. Uh, he's a good student. Um, you know, had good grades, go, you know, throughout high school, his call his, uh, excuse me, his high school coaches always said good things about him. He was always looked at as a kid that was a pretty straight, narrow kid, you know, and not a guy that got mixed up in any kind of shady activity. So I, again, I, I think it was a little bit of a knee jerk reaction from, from UCLA, uh, with him, um, specifically, uh, if he's a guy that, you know, wanted to go to USC and somebody asked me, well, what do you think of Joshua? You think, you think, you know, SC would be, you know, taking a, taking a gamble on him only in terms of what other people think outside of USC, as far as how he would fit in at USC and, and what he would do at USC as far as uh, you know, just being a student and what kind of person he was, I, I, I would say I think, he, think, you're, think you're clear. I don't think that's going to be an issue for him going forward. Uh, I think he made a stupid mistake, young kid, mixing up uh, with the wrong crowd, I guess you could say, um, and, uh, and, and now he's paying for it. But I, 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 just, I think, Again, it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction, it seems like UCLA. Again, I, I also have to say, I haven't seen you know, video surveillance or, or what have you, the, the evidence that obviously the UCLA authorities saw, and, and they made the decision to go ahead and, and kick him out of school, which is what we what basically sounds like what's happening. Um, so I don't, you know, I mean, maybe there was more involved than I saw. Maybe the mistake that he made was, you know, even worse than what's being kind of reported at this point. Sounds like, you know, they broke into a girl's locker or, or, or something. They stole somebody's purse or something like that. And, and that's what the issue was. Um, you know, I, I can only, I can only think to myself of what the, what the problem was and, and why he got in trouble. Um, and if it was just an issue of, you know, somebody stole something and he was kind of caught up in it, I, again, I don't think that he's that kid. That's the kind of character he has. I, I wouldn't necessarily put that on him as that's the kind of person he is. And you're going to have to look out for him in the future because he's going to, you know, he's going to have an issue with that in the future. I just don't think Josh really is that kind of kid. So, yeah, somebody asked me, well, USC needs linebackers like crazy. And, um, you know, they may have an opening because of the class here right now. Guy like Clint Stanley, you know, who I was told it's on campus. Now it sounds like he's looking seriously at maybe going to Florida State. Um, he's a junior. So I don't know how that works with his letter of intent and the, 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 the ruling that, you, you, that the NCAA made that anybody who's a, who's a junior or senior can transfer without penalty. That's kind of a question. But Glenn Stanley, a junior college player who signed with USC last year, kind of late in the year, actually was committed to Tennessee um, and then flipped over to, uh, to, to USC kind of late in the process. Um, 6'2", 235-pound linebacker. A lot of people were excited because he was a guy that was going to be able to come in and, and physically be able to contribute right away at USC. Obviously, he's going to have to learn the defense, and there's going to be some things that will be required of him you know, in that transition. But as far as physically, he's a guy that you know, is mature. He could come in and, and, and play right away. And now it sounds like that's really up in the air. Uh, so... You know, oh, that might be a spot opened up, and then you get you look at a guy like Josh Shirley. I, like I said, I, I wouldn't. That that's not an issue. Character, I, I to me wouldn't be an issue bringing him in. All right, thanks, JC, for that one. Uh, a couple good questions there, and Gerard, thanks for the answer. One last thing before we let you go, and uh, you talked about you know Glenn Stanley maybe not coming in. The the big name everyone wants to know about is Sean Terrell Henderson. Any any update there? We had a question from Clay on that, and we usually get a couple questions every week about. Henderson and what his the latest on him is. What do you think the latest with Henderson is? Well, uh, from what we were hearing, and we have not been able to verify it. I mean, we haven't really been able to to get a lot of confirmation on anything from Chantrell. Uh, they've been pretty quiet. They haven't really talked much with the media. But it sounded like USC might actually be going out to see him again. Now, there are reports that uh, Ed Ergeron, Lane Kiffin, Monty Kiffin, James Craig uh, actually flew out to see him last week. And 
talk to his family and, and we're trying to get him back out here for at least a visit. Now it was kind of being put out there that, you know, he was going to come in this weekend and be signed and be enrolled. I, I never heard anything to that extent. I heard that there was a possibility they could get him back out here for kind of an unofficial visit of sorts, just to see USC again and kind of remind him why he committed to USC in the first place. But I, there's no verification that that happened. And now I'm hearing that maybe USC actually went back again uh, to talk to him and, and try to convince him to uh, at least maybe come out for a visit um, or sign. Obviously, I mean, that's the, the, the end result that they're looking for. Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky situation. We talked about it a little bit, I think, last week as to, you know, what Chantrell Henderson's real options are. Um, Miami, Ohio State were the two schools that he was looking at towards the end uh, with 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 USC in there and Miami can't take them. They've got too many scholarships. Um, and Ohio state can't take him either because they've got too many scholarships. So really the only option he would have other than USC is to go to prep school for a year. And then maybe, you know, for next year, come out early, uh, graduate in December and go wherever he wanted to go. So that's uh, kind of where it still stands. I mean, officially there's, he's not on campus at USC. He's not enrolled at USC. Uh, we'll see if, you know, there's any kind of change with, um, you know, who's going out there, if they, if they can go see him again, if they can convince him to come out here and visit, if he does visit. Uh, it's all still up in the air, so it's an interesting thing. I mean, at this point, from the 2010 class, you have uh, Chantrell Henderson, who's still out on campus. You have uh, Glenn Stanley, who sounds like he's at least no longer on campus, um, looking around still, uh, possibly looking at Florida State. And then you have uh, Soma Vanuku, who's the linebacker slash fullback uh, from Eureka, California, who is not on campus. But at least uh, good news to report on that for SC fans is that he's still 100% committed, still 100% looking forward to going to USC. And talked to a couple sources recently that felt good about his ability to be able to enroll and get eligible. Uh, he's taking some summer school classes and doing some things still. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be on campus um, in the near future, but they felt eventually uh, sometime um, close to when uh, fall camp starts, maybe even in the mid to fall camp, and we've seen that before, uh, trying to get enrolled uh, before fall semester, and they felt like uh, he, was, he was making the right moves in the classroom and that he would end up being uh, eligible. So we'll look forward to that. We'll try to keep you updated with that. But uh, that's where it stands with the 2010 class, and that 2010 class has a big impact on who USC brings in this year because, as we talked about before, USC, you know, at this point, pre-appeal and, and everything with, with that um, still to come, it's at 15 per year, and they have to stay at that cap as being 75 scholarships, so a total on the roster. So with this year specifically, and, and really this is just talking about this year, they can get more than 15 in this class if some of those guys are early enrollees, and again, if they stay below that 75. So a guy like Cody Kessler, um, you, you can you can bring in a guy early like that who can enroll early, and he'll actually count for last year's class, so they're not going to have an issue with that being over the 15. So you can actually bring in 15, 16, and if you can get a guy like possibly a Josh Shirley, who obviously he's, from what we understand, going to end up going J.C., uh, for this semester, um, being kicked out of uh, being kicked out of UCLA, um, uh, he could he could end up enrolling at USC for next spring and would end up being an early enrollee as well. So that would be a guy that they could also add in there. Uh, so you could end up getting a you know a class of 18, maybe 19 guys in this class, um, still staying under that 75 cap. And uh, and having you know a few of those guys being able to enroll early, so very tricky, weird thing. And then people start to bring up, well, what about the appeal? You know, USC's going for you know only a five scholarship production. Uh, you know, who knows what happens with that? I mean, that's a whole other can of worms that we're all over on uscfootball.com. You guys got to stay up to date on this investigation. Stay on the peristyle. If you're not have a subscription, you need to get a subscription now. Stop putting it off. It's July. There's no other football going on. If you want to know what's going on with your team, get on the peristyle because we've got up-to-date information on all this stuff and a series of stories coming out on this whole investigation and how it was handled by the NCAA and what it looks like for USC. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what does it all mean for USC? What does it mean for the appeals process going forward? Uh, there's some significant issues here that we're talking about and that we're trying to figure out, uh, you know, with some of these stories and shed light on that uh, really impact USC and the future of Trojan football. Certainly, Gerard. And anyone out there, if you're not a subscriber, we offered this up last week as well. Drop me an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you sign up for our seven-day free trial, we will extend it. 
all the way to the middle of August, the middle of fall camps, you get a lot of a good idea of what's going on, not just with the investigation, but with the Trojan football team. So again, email me podcast at uscfootball.com when you sign up for a seven day free trial. Email me your username and I will extend it out to August 15th. So you can get a month and a half or so of a free trial instead of uh, instead of one week. So be able to do that. But Gerard, thanks again. There's a good plug there. But uh, thanks for all the great information. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, everyone else, you've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 